Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore-focused columnist over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Hello, everybody. How's it going? It's going good. Sorry, I know I sound a little weird today. I haven't really slept very well. Uh, Sorry. I'll, I'll try and I'll try and be normal. I really will. I will. I swear. I. We don't we don't need to be normal on this show. It's fine if we're not. I'm I was gonna that... say, people don't love us for being normal. I, was... I meant normal for me. Just you know, I know I'm sounding positive and cheerful, and I don't I don't want to throw anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm 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 happy that your computer is working this week, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. All right. <sighs> um, speaking of which, cackling madly in the background is our other <laughs> columnist over at Blizzard Watch. He specializes in shaman and knows a ton about lore as well, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hi there. Hi. See, I'm usually cheery, so this is normal. Yeah. Right? Excellent. We're, we're all just a bundle of cheer today, <laughs> I guess, on the show, which is only appropriate because, quite it's frankly... Funny. Yeah, as as people that are focused on lore and everything, the next patch, 7.3, comes out in two days. And Joe, I know when you and I were talking on the last show, I said something about, I think I think we both kind of agreed that the patch was likely to come out on the 29th. Yeah? We did. We, yeah. we, we, we nailed that, I think. I think everybody nailed that because they've been, they've been releasing the patches on a pretty consistent pattern schedule throughout Legion. It took a while to establish that pattern, but once it had been established, it's like, oh, okay, there is a pattern here now, and we see it, so we know when things are going to happen, roughly. But, yeah, they announced it at Gamescom. They had a great trailer. Mm-hmm. They had another cinematic. It was like two cinematics for the price of one. It was great. And we so, found out that we're going to be getting cinematics every time there's a major story beat like in 7.3 yeah pretty much which that was unheard of which makes me super excited yeah well so here's the deal guys um before we get too much into this we're going to be talking about patch 7.3 today because by the time you listen to this on the website it will have been out for like about a week or so if you're listening to this on patreon if you're one of our patreon supporters and you've actually got access to this a week early this is all going to include spoiler content for material that is coming out on Tuesday. If that's not your jam, you can go ahead and just shut us down right now. Come back in a few days once the patch is out or once you've discovered all the things you want to discover for yourself. It's all good. We'll still be here because this is a recording. <laughs> Eep. <laughs> Before we get too into like spoilers and stuff, though, can I say one thing? Well, hold up. I just I, I want to you know make this perfectly perfectly clear for everybody. This is your spoiler warning. Everything beyond this point is potentially going to have spoilers in it. So if you decide to go ahead and turn us off, we'll see you when you come back. Bye. Okay, Rossi, go ahead. Well, one of the things that you, you guys were talking about cinematic story beats, and one of the things that's really interesting is for all that we we talk a lot of smack about Warlords of Draenor, and I think it's deserved, yes. but. A lot of this is like the perfection of what they tried to do in Warlords. Like when you did, Warlords did some stuff really well when you were oh, leveling. Yeah. And one of the things they did well was this, those cinematics at the end of zones. Like you guys both played Horde, so you would have seen the Frostfire one, right? That is correct, yep. Um, I played both, actually. Okay. But you, do you remember the Frostfire one? Yeah, I remember the Frostfire one. It was kind of like at the pinnacle of everything. And then the one that was over in 
the zone did I forget? Shadow Moon Valley? Yeah, Shadow Moon, yeah. Yeah, the one that was in Shadow Moon was also fantastic. That was the one with Velen and Ural. Yeah. The the thing that interests me here is what we're getting here this time is we're it's like we're getting multiple of those cinematics in one experience. What Do you know it, what I mean? Like instead yeah. of having just one cinematic at the very end of a long quest chain, you're going to have quests leading up to a pivotal moment with a cinematic, then more quests, another pivotal moment, another cinematic that it really establishes almost chapters to it. Well, and that's sort of what they've already been doing in Legion. Like at the end of a lot of the content that we, we experienced in each of the zones, there were these cinematic moments or these, whether they were cutscenes in game or pre-rendered uh, like our, our, our lovely, death of of the the dreamer that was so sad Sarah, um, and then also yeah. the suramar introduction i loved that but there was been several because that was like right at the beginning and it just sort of framed everything that was going to happen in suramar really nicely um but yeah there's, there's plenty of those and and i think what what the difference is between and 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 i don't I understand we give Warlords a lot of gruff, but it, it seemed like they just didn't know what direction they wanted to go in. Here, it seems like in Legion, because they have a very clear direction that they want to go in from the beginning, that they could do all of this because everything ties together. And so we're getting those beats. We're, we're getting those more regularly because they know exactly where the next ones are going to lead to. It's not, okay, well, we don't, we don't, it's going to change direction now. Yeah, I think part of it is that, and I think part of it is also, you have to understand that they started working in the cinematics more regularly back in Missa Pandaria, where, you know, they kind of included them here and there. They had, like, the very, when you went to Jade Forest, there was, like, the whole Jade Forest cinematic thing, and most people, you know, when they saw those, when they experienced those, they were really incredibly enthusiastic about how amazing those things were and how they wanted to see more of them. And it feels like Warlords was them kind of attempting that to do that. They hadn't quite mastered it yet, though. And right now in Legion, it feels like they're really comfortable with the idea of producing these cinematics and knowing where exactly they should go, like you said, you know, where the appropriate story beats are at and where they would best fit. Yeah. Having and... said that, I, oh, sorry. I, having said that, I, I, I feel like I should point out for the record, just, just like right off the bat here with 7.3. Um, I've had a chance over the past couple of weeks. I've made, made time finally to play the, through the PTR and go through and experience everything that there is. I don't think I've experienced everything that there is because there's a reputation thing involved, but at the same time, I've gotten the majority of the story quests out of the way. And this patch is easily the best patch I have seen since patch 5.1. And I don't say that lightly because 5.1 was like my favorite patch hands down in World of Warcraft period. I'm gonna, I'll actually say more. I will say that it's significantly better than 5.1. I know. Like by leaps yeah. and bounds. Oh, and, yeah, and, I would agree. and it's crazy. It's the... I mean, they did more than knock it out of the park here, guys. I, I can't even... If you're listening to this on Patreon, you guys have no idea what you're in for on Tuesday. It's so good. It is so good. <laughs> it's good. This is so good that I couldn't make myself play 7-2 anymore Yeah. when I did it. I think maybe doing it <laughs> earlier. when I did it earlier when it wasn't all in yet, but the amount I did was enough that I could not play 7-2. I took 7-2 off. Like, I've not been playing, waiting for this patch to come because it was like... Eh, I don't I don't care anymore. I, I want to get to this. This is better. I want to I want to play this when this is out. I'll play again. And 
I've gotten, I mean, I've gotten several alts knocked out, and I've done a lot of the mount acquisition stuff because I really like those story beats and everything. And I've also like worked on getting more alts to 110 because I wanted to see different class stories, which, again, Legion has just really, overall, it has really excelled on this whole delivering story right at the onset kind of thing and keeping alts interesting because it doesn't, unless you're rolling an alt of the exact same class you're going to see something new each time you play your alt, which is kind of fun. Hey, uh, even if you are rolling an alt of the exact same class, you can see different things. That's actually one of the things that I found most interesting about it. Yeah. But like to, to, to get into something, though, that one of the things that I've, I've failed to express every time I've tried to talk about this, so I'm going to try again. Um, effectively, 7.3 feels like the other half of Legion. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. a patch. It literally feels like... If everything we've had before was the first half, this is the second half. This could have been an expansion. Yeah. Like, that, and that, there's a there's lot just, here. There's so much that they've actually poured into, and we've talked about that a little bit before uh, across every sort of media you can think of. It's just absolutely massive. And the amount of, of just space they're giving us to quest in, and then the amount of space even within the raid, it's like the raid and the dungeons themselves, like... It's huge. Like, it, it is mind-blowingly huge. I was originally a little bit disappointed, just a little minorly disappointed, that Argus was being relegated to a patch instead of given its own expansion. But given the size and the scope of what they have presented us with here, quite frankly, no, this is good. I'm good with this. I am so good with this. This is like, <laughs> yeah, this is like if they dropped the Isle of Thunder, the Timeless Isle, and Tanan. With all a five man, time, yeah. with a five man and the raid, and then you know all. And by the way, we've created world quests. Here they are. Like it, it's, I, they, I, I'm I'm kind of losing. Like I'm making choking sounds because I'm trying to come up with words for it's this. It's so good, you guys. <laughs> so uh, let's let's we we've reinforced this point. <laughs> I think we've beaten it into the ground. Just keep that in mind as we're talking and gushing over everything that's going to happen here. Um. Let's talk about the story, because there is a lot of story here. Obviously, this is kind of... This is a big moment for Velen. This is a really big moment for Velen, and Velen hasn't exactly had a heck of a lot of traffic over the past, I don't know, since he was introduced in Burning Crusade, and even in Burning Crusade, he didn't have a lot of traffic. We got a little more Velen in Warlords, but that Velen was not our Velen. That was a Velen from an alternate timeline who sacrificed himself and kind of gave us a little window into how our Velen was thinking, I guess, in that, because you saw just how powerful he was on his own. I mean, he purified Inaru by himself, that was crazy. But again, it, his death had impact in the moment. But once you got out of that moment, it was like, oh, well, we have a spare one at home. It's okay. <laughs> See, I don't, honestly, one of the things I think is most interesting about what we're doing with Velen this time is that we thought maybe he was going to lose his faith in the light. No. After, after his son died. No. And if anything, it, it came back in he, spades. No, he didn't. He never lost his faith in the light. What he lost was his patience. Like, he's been waiting for 25,000 years. Well over 25,000 years. And yeah. he's done waiting. Like, it, it's funny because in a weird sort of way, this this expansion, like, I, I said this in work chat the other day, that Cadgar has kind of taken a secondary role now. 
he was pretty important for most of this expansion. Now he's stepped back and the people driving this are Velen and Illidan to a great degree. And Velen is the perfect foil for Illidan because nothing Illidan says can push him. Not really. Even when Illidan comes at him with like the like some nasty shit. Like he comes out and says, you know, straight up, it's your okay, fault. Okay, language. People. Yes, I'm sorry. I apologize. But you know what I mean? He pushes. He comes in, he pushes, and Velen doesn't push. You can't push Velen. I was there's a point where Velen turns and just looks at him and you can almost hear like wheels in his head going, and he's like, dude, I had killed Jaden on my butt for twenty five thousand years. You think you can push me? No. We'll do this my way because I am Velen. You can push. You can try and push. But Velen at this point is, he's not even a rock. He's like a mountain. He's immovable. He's a force in his own right. And Well, I, well, yeah, I think you're hitting right there that like he's a force in his own right. He's starting to become that force, right? He always like has been. It's just that. But he's always been his, tempered. Yeah. And his direction, I, I think his direction or his gaze was more focused on let's save my people let's preserve my people let's and now it's kind of like no okay i've preserved my people i've tried to keep them alive but have i robbed them of everything that they were fighting for maybe it's about time we turn around and we start fighting yeah, it felt like to me, yeah, I, I think you're right to a degree. Like, there was a feeling I had where he's like, I preserved my people, and this is the moment we were preserved for. Yeah. There's that sense of, like, when you when you first go over, when you're actually doing the quests, when you're actually on the ground, Velen is confronted by, like, you know, the legacy of his choices many times. And even when he is, like, he's deeply sorry that things happened, he never backs down. He's never, like, you know... He He's never, sorry like, that things happened the way that they happened, but there was nothing that he could do to prevent it. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, I made the choices I had to make. It's really, it's a fascinating portrayal of a character who who has jumped forward to be the character of this expansion. I think, in a way, that he never got to be ever before. Um, he certainly didn't get to be in BC. Like he, he's basically a cipher in BC. Um, you don't see him at all in Wrath. Burning Crusade and... is kind of interesting because he comes in as this force, you know, and he's working on saving his people and everything. But the first demonstration that we get of Velen as like a powerful entity is when he literally swoops in and reignites the frickin' Sunwell for people who probably should have been their enemies but weren't, as far as he was concerned. And that's when you really kind of got a feel for the type of person that Velen is. He forgives! So when we got to that Kill Jaden cinematic, um, well, when we were going to the whole Kill Jaden thing, right, there was, I, I know we had talked about it on the show and I had said something about, I, I really want to see that moment where Velen and, and Kill Jaden kind of confront each other and where Velen, where we see whether Velen has let the light fade or, or, or whether he's got that kind of forgiveness, like if it if it carries that highly that he can actually forgive kill Jaden. And in that moment, in that cinematic, I think he did. I mean, you came out of that cinematic. And if you talk to Velen after you're done killing kill Jaden and the cinematic is played and everything, he says that he says as much. Um, and it really, it really shows the strength of Velen as a character. And it's a strength that he's carried since burning crusade, since way back when we've just never really seen, I think the scope of it, and we're about to see the scope of it. Well, we've started to see the scope of it. And in 7.3, you see a lot more of that. Um, he's a phenomenal character. He really is. So we take Velen, obviously, or rather Velen takes us 
in mass, all of us, to Argus. And once we get there, yeah, like you said, Rossi, he's kind of immediately confronted with memories of what has happened. So do you want to talk about like the first little bit that happens in Crocoon? Okay. Um, well, I mean, I don't know how much of it I can get because it, it is a pretty sprawling thing. But basically, you get there and Talk about immediately... that, first, that first back and forth between him and the person we first meet in the hovel. Yeah, when you, you basically... When you get there, it's a mess. Like, I don't, people, if by now you'll, you'll have seen the cinematic. There's a immediate need to get down there and stop the Legion before they can fire their big gun again. And you, so you do that and various stuff. And then you, like, stumble upon uh, somebody who you didn't expect. He's not a demon. He's broken. And you're like, what? And you, you tell Velen about this, and he's like, what? Here? And eventually you know you basically get your mission you have to like stop the legion you you fight a big monster that usual thing but you have to find you have to like basically explore the area and illidan's like no you can't waste time doing that and velen's like anyway we're leaving now we're gonna go do that so you ride off with velen and you end up in this ruined like long abandoned village it's like in the middle of nowhere and uh, I believe that you, you get there and you're hearing the, the typical shadow meld sounds, the stealth noises. And, you know, Velen says, we're not alone. And you're like, yeah, I know. The game is practically flashing a red sign over my head saying we're not alone. I'm well aware, Velen. Uh, and they step out of the darkness. And it's exactly like it reminded me so much of Warcraft 3. It actually made me like nostalgic because it's so yeah. much like when you first meet the, the broken in Warcraft 3, when you first meet the Draenei. They're like a commas people and they're all shadow melding. And it's, it's so similar to that moment. And I, I want to say Hatun, that's his name, right? Hatun. Hatun. Yeah. Yeah. Hatun steps out. Chieftain Hatun. Conf- Chieftain Hatun confronts Velen and says, surprised to see me. And Velen is like, yes, I, I thought you were dead. I thought you were all dead. Uh, he's like, no, we, you abandoned us, but we're not dead. And he's really just absolutely furious. He, he's so angry at Velen. And Velen is like, look, I, you know, you can hate me all you want, but right now the, the Legion is the focus. He doesn't, he doesn't back down for a second. That's the amazing thing about this moment. He's not, he is contrite. He is not pleased that they suffered. He is not gloating. He's not, you know, arrogant at all. But he's very much like, there is no time for this. And I feel like yeah. we should point out here that these broken that are on Argus here, these aren't broken from, you know, Draenor that have traveled with the ship or anything. These are Draenei. These are the Draenei that stayed behind when Velen and the others fled. And I shouldn't yeah. even say that they were Draenei because they were Eridar. But they chose well, actually... not. they chose not to follow the Burning Legion. So they kind of sacrificed themselves so that everybody else could escape. Hatun in particular, he he stayed behind. He deliberately stayed behind to hold off this assault when Velen and the others were escaping to the ship and getting the heck out of there. Um, so all this time that Velen and his followers have been traveling the cosmos is 25,000 years or so, right? All this time, Hatun and the others have been on Argus. And they've been warped and corrupted and turned into the broken. They were not broken originally. So they had to suffer through all of that. And then they also had to suffer through watching their world become what it is when we arrive. And yet they survived. So it's kind of this almost just phenomenal kind of thing that they even that they even still exist. There's no reason that they should, but they do. 
I mean, well, there's like a small reason because that's part of what the Legion is doing with Argus and with other worlds too. Yes. But yeah, it is. It's really just. It's one of those moments where you sit, you'd see them interact, and you watch it happen. And and before there's twenty five thousand years of bitter going on yeah. here is what there is. Yeah, Hatuna is not thrilled to see Velen. I mean, he expected. I get the sense he expected Velen to come back a lot sooner. Um, like he thought he was buying time for their escape and that they'd be back with reinforcements or something. I don't think he quite got that it was this was like going to be for this long. He's he's very angry and. The only reason that he doesn't attack is because, well, I mean, you probably want to tell him this part because. The oh, yeah, people... they're interrupted. <laughs> and they're interrupted by somebody who we have actually never seen in World of Warcraft before, aside from, well, we, not until Legion anyway. Um, Turalyon. Turalyon shows up and he walks out and he's there. Um, this is. Ugh. I can't even. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I could possibly say, but I can't. I mean, when he first walked out and he started talking, I I made the world's most ungodly noises because I've been waiting for him to show up for, oh, I don't know, forever since I first And the walked. fact that he shows up with a Mads Madsen face just kind of, you know. <laughs> he's scarred. He's got gray hair. He's aged. Um, th- You get the feeling that, I see that's the thing that that kind of weirds me out right now is that timelines are very wonky and I have a feeling that the reason that Turalyon looks the way that he does is partially, you know, the battles that he's fought obviously, but also because they're traveling around in an interdimensional ship where time maybe doesn't matter. Well, Alaria straight up says when she re- when they're reunited with Cadgar, Alaria says Never, never question an elf's memory about who owes the drinks, even after a thousand years. Yeah, they've they've, they've been they've been out and about, and Turalyon has kind of transcended beyond human mortality almost. But it, it's he's like suffused he's a, with the light. He he's like a vessel for the light now. It's mm-hmm. really kind of crazy. And I mean, we saw signs of that like from the earliest moments. I mean, back in I I I did a Turalyon know your lore. And it's going live tomorrow. But I went back to the old novels. And in Beyond the Dark Portal, I believe... No, no, not even Beyond the Dark Portal. Back when he watched... When he watched Lothar die. Yeah, the one before Beyond the Dark Portal. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, okay. but I can't remember the name either. Like, I think it's like on something wings or something. Because it's, it's the one that has the, the dragon destroying the ships right on the cover. So it might actually be called something like, I don't know. I, I, I have to look that up. But I know the one you're talking about. Because it was like Aaron and Christy worked on it. Yeah, together. it was the two of them. It was the, it was basically the Warcraft 2 book. Yeah, because it was the second war. Um, essentially, what happened with that? He saw Lothar die, right? He saw Lothar die right in front of him. And he went, there's this whole scene that's described where he goes There's tides of darkness by the way yeah tides of darkness up. it's this whole there's this whole scene where he goes to lothar's body basically and he's like suffused with the light and he's not only is he suffused with the light it's to the point where he's blinding everybody around him like the orcs are stepping back from him because they can't see even the humans are shielding their eyes from this guy because he's been like 
he is beyond what any paladin should be at that point, logistically speaking. And then later on, we get into um, Beyond the Dark Portal, which is a sequel to Tides of Darkness. And there's a moment in Beyond the Dark Portal where he hears the voice of the light, which is, I think it's just Anaru talking to him, honestly, because when I looked at that paragraph again, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this is completely Anaru. Like, this is totally Anaru that he's talking to. He's been in touch with these people his entire life. It's just been kind of waiting to kick in. This has been Turalyon's destiny for a very long time. So it almost doesn't surprise me that he's with the Army of the Light right now. And it really doesn't surprise me that he's been living for like a thousand years at this point, kind of outside of our own reality, wherever he's been, however he's been fighting. He's been gone for a very, very long time, and he's seen a lot of stuff. Um, Argus is the Legion homeworld, essentially, and the Army of the Light has been fighting the Legion for these past thousand years or so, while we've been doing our own thing, and barely any time has passed, but we've been dealing with our own stuff on Azeroth. So it's like, we have, on the one hand, we have this story that's going on on Azeroth, and it seemed like this really epic tale, you know? We've been fighting through several different expansions worth of material, and then beyond that, above and beyond that, there's this other story going on that we didn't see, and it's even more epic, even more, it's like on a cosmic scale, there's been some big stuff going on here that we've missed, and Turalyon just kind of shows up, um, and he breaks up the little tense encounter that we've got going on between Hatun and Velen, the mountain who would not be moved, and says, okay, we've got more important things to focus on here, because they had their ship, the Zenadar. The Zenadar was the ship that the Army of the Light was flying around, and it got shot down in that cinematic, in that cinematic that they debuted at, at Gamescom. You saw it. You saw it happen. So you had to go find the wreckage. You had to go find the remnants of Zira, basically, because what they ended up doing was things happened, and they kind of like, I don't even, I, I'm not even sure what the play-by-play -play here is. <laughs> Because what happened was, something happened to the Xenadar, right? And it was like, endgame, uh-oh, bad things are happening. So they sent Light's Heart to Azeroth in an attempt to, like, get our attention and get us to come to them for some kind of backup. Because they they really needed the backup. So you have to take Light's Heart, and you have to take the other part of Zira. Zira's body still exists in the Xenadar. It's just missing the piece that we had that we brought with core, us. Yeah. yeah, the consciousness core, essentially. So we have to go fight our way to the Xenadar, get inside of it, get those pieces, bring them back and reassemble Zira so that we can, you know, move on with our lives and finish fighting the Legion here. But that's only like the first little tiny chunk of this because Krokun is the first of three zones and each zone is progressively larger. And the third one is just like a wallop of lore. Um, however, I don't know. Rossi, do you want to talk any more about this? Or Joe, do you want to talk about this? We haven't yeah, heard Joe, anything from going. you. Keep going. Keep going, guys. Okay. I was going to say, we hadn't heard anything from you. Did you want to talk about Ilaria? I'm biding my time. You guys go. Okay. So the other thing that's of immediate importance to Turalyon is that he and Ilaria have been separated and we need to go find her. And he figures we will find her under you know, while we're doing all of this other stuff. So we go take care of some things. We go to fight some pit lords. We go to fight the last pit lord. 
we think we're going to get beaten. And then Hilaria shows up in the nick of time to help us out because that's what Hilaria does. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting too, because Hilaria, I mean, I'm going to be writing about Hilaria next week, but Hilaria as a character is pretty fascinating because she's a lot like Sylvanas and she'd never, ever, ever say it, but she's very focused on her vengeance. And maybe that's just a Windrunner thing. I mean, maybe that's just a Windrunner trait because Verisa was kind of the same way for a while there. Yeah, I think Verisa, the only reason Verisa isn't still focused on her vengeance was because she realized she'd lose her kids if she kept going with it. She got she got snapped out of it. Sylvanas is still pretty focused on it. And Alara is kind of dis- displaying those well, tendencies as well, you know? Sylvanas has nothing to lose. Yeah. What's there to lose? What's there to stop her? I mean, there's there's nothing there. Uh, Alaria, she goes pretty far in this one. Um I mean, that's kind of, I'm not sure how much of that, you know, like, I don't know how to talk about that. Like, there's a lot to cover, and I didn't see all of it. I but, didn't um, see all of it. I got to the point where she got back to the ship. She had a conversation with Verisa, and it was made very clear that her and Verisa were talking about Sylvanas, and that they were yeah. going to catch up more on that later. But that's as far as I got with that particular thing. And I did not do the five-man, but I believe that Alaria features in the five-man. If yeah, she does. She, okay. she features in the five man. Okay, so the five man is definitely something that people are going to want to do because um, there's more lore with her. So we've got two of these huge, major, major lore figures. And I, it's so funny that we call them major lore figures every time I think and about it. And they've never shown up in the game. They've never ever. been in the game. The only, the only presence that they've had in the game, and it was a big one actually, because the first time you walked into Stormwind City, there they were. And they yeah, had the, the little plaques on their statues that said that they were presumed deceased. And we found every single one of them except for Olaria and Turalion. They were the only two that we hadn't found. Um, the other thing that kind of has me confused, and I don't know, maybe you or Joe have some insight into this, is um, Erator. Where Erator fits into all of this. Well, he's there, and they, they have a reunion of sorts. Like, they, they're happy to see him. Right. I guess and... what's confusing to me here... Is when did they have him? When did they have him? That's something that they didn't actually really get into that I noticed. They acknowledged him as their son and were both happy to see him. Even Sylvanas was, not Sylvanas, uh, Illyria. Uh, and, you know, he didn't seem all that bitter at Illyria, which I kind of expected from his Burning Crusade days. Maybe he's had time to get over it. I don't know. But, yeah, they didn't say, you know, there's a little hint. I, I mean, there's just a little bit that they maybe went, they went back to Draenor at one point and then left again. But that's the best. Like, for all I know, Arator has been being raised by, you know, Cadgar for all that time. I really don't know. I have no idea. They, they don't really say much about Arator in terms of how he fits into things. Well, here's here's the thing that confuses me about Arator, And it's something that they really haven't clarified anywhere along the line here. When we first met Arator, he said that he was just a kid when the Alliance Expeditionary Force went through the Dark Portal and beyond the Dark Portal. Like he was just a little kid at that point. If you read Beyond the Dark Portal, there's no indication that Ilaria has had a child. None. Whatsoever. She doesn't mention him at all in the least. In fact, she's actually downright kind of surly to Turalyon at that point. Because um, she's stuck on her little vengeance crusade thing. And even when they reunite and, you know, the two of them come together again, she doesn't mention Erator. Yet. Nope, she doesn't. Yet. Here comes Erator, Burning Crusade, looking for his mom and dad. And he shows up 
and talks to what is it Danath that he talks to yeah he talks to Danath I think um and says I'm looking for my mother and father and he goes oh yeah no we haven't seen them in like three years there was some battle there they lost that battle and then we didn't see them and we don't know where they're at so Erator has just been waiting all this time and I'm sitting here going okay so did Turalia know that he had a kid or did he find out later was he there when when Erator was born because there's no indication of that in the novels it's just like this giant question mark you know what I mean yeah I know I I definitely feel this is a case where they didn't sync up the game and the novels well because there's indications that the entire Alliance expedition knew of Arator. Like he's called little Arator at one point, you know? So yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's not something I can answer. There's no, no Chronicle doesn't explain it yet. I mean, I'm the next Chronicle might, I don't know. I really don't have any. It feels like there may be a retcon in the works here or something. I don't know. Um, regardless, Erator, he's been looking for his mom and dad for a very, very, very long time, and they're finally reunited. Uh, Alaria is reunited with Verisa, and as I said, they have a conversation where you walk in... See, here's the cool part. Okay, so the Alliance ship is the Vindicar, and the Vindicar is basically... It's an interdimensional ship. Um, obviously they couldn't fly the Exodar because the Exodar was kind of beyond repair. So they spent, they put all their time and efforts into building this other inter, interdimensional ship, the Vindicar. And that's the one that you take. On the Vindicar, which is a, actually a pretty substantial, it's like a sizable ship. There are little vignettes here and there of characters that are standing next to each other. And you can talk to them and just like sit there and... I believe <laughs> it's actually pretty funny because the dialogue option just just says stay a while and listen and if you choose that option those two people will start talking to each other and you kind of eavesdrop on what's going on and there's a few fascinating exchanges on that ship over the course of time and those exchanges change depending on which zone you're in and how far along in the story you are uh I think one of the best ones, for me anyway, if you go down to the mission table, you find Lady Liadrin, and then there's a... Is it Sigrun? The Nightfallen? It's a Nightfallen, Not, yeah. I don't remember yeah, the which Nightborn. one. Yeah, the Nightborn. Silgern. thank you. Um, You're so, is down there, and he and Liadrin talk about the light, and and he talks about the fact that he's been, you know essentially cut off from the rest of the world and now all of a sudden he's thrown into all of this stuff and it's really fascinating and you know there's there it's like a really good exchange between those two characters so go look for that if you're gonna go look for anything go look for that um there's another one what was the other one well there's a couple between Verisa and Turalyon there's obviously the one with Turalyon and Verisa and Cadgar <laughs> where they kind of reunite so it, it's like these little things that are hidden all over the ship make sure you explore it make sure you explore everything like everywhere. i just want to throw in there that I'm, I'm really excited that the nightborn are along for the journey on this yes, one too just one just the one but i'm glad that he's decided to come along because I, I i wanted to see whether or not those people would actually kind of like try and expand and get involved in that kind of thing so it's nice to see that at least one of them is making this journey. He doesn't know what he's in for, but he's made the journey regardless. <laughs> anyway, uh, Rossi, I'm sorry. Do you want to go ahead and continue? I don't know what I was saying. Um, I think we kind of got off topic and wandered a little bit, but uh... anyway, I, I was. I think basically we talking about Laria. Um, yeah. I know enough about the five man to say that one of the things that's been going on over the period of time that Laria and Trollian have been in the Army of the Light is they've had a difference of opinion on 
how exactly to proceed with the war against the Legion. Uh, and Illyria is much more open to certain ideas than Turalyon is. Um, let's just say that she's studied the other half of Naru biology, for lack of a better word. And when you go through the, uh, the, the dungeon, you go through the Seat of the Triumvirate, you, you basically witness Illyria coming to a final conclusion and making a decision. Uh, she doesn't die. <clears throat> so don't panic if you're like thinking, oh, God, she dies or we have to kill her. That doesn't happen. But she definitely makes a choice. Uh, I'm being a little coy here, but we have a spoiler warning, so I'll stop now. Um, Illyria picks Shadow. She straight up embraces the power of the Void. Which makes sense, really. I mean, she's a hunter. And it's not just that she embraces the power of the Void. She picks up the... the, the when you, the, the last boss of the dungeon is a Naru. It's a Dark and Naru. A Void Lord, whatever you want to call them. After you beat it, she basically picks up its essence and uses it to transform herself. It's like a permanent shadow form, like a like a like the ones that Shadow Priests have. But it's both more powerful and it seems a lot less. It's a lot more directed. Like at one point, she makes a, she says something to the effect of, "You know, I can still hear the voices, but they do they're loud and insistent, but they do not control me." Um, so she's definitely flirting with some dangerous forces, but. There's a really great line after she makes this choice. The, the, there's someone who's been teaching her, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But he says something to the effect of, you know, how will your mate feel about these decisions? And she's like, there is no light. There is no shadow without light. Well, and that's a, and that's something that I think is really interesting as a point is because it it almost makes sense because Trellian is so far seated in the light that he necessarily I don't want to say is is sort of blinded to a little bit. Um, you can only see so far. The light has a certain way of thinking, a certain way of viewing the universe around it. Uh, we know that. We know that from years of playing in the in the game world of, you know, of dealing with the people that are, are servants of the light. They have a very distinct worldview or universe view, whatever you want to call it. And those who subscribe to the shadows have a different worldview. And somewhere between the two of them is a balance. And it's interesting that these two in particular are a physical manifestation now of that balance. Because, again, like she says, there cannot be, you know, there's no light without shadow, no shadow without light. But the two of them together, because they're such this, this, they've always been like this perfect unit. E- even though they're taking up sides of opposite sides of the coin, they're still a perfect unit in that that sort of balancing point. Well, the two, plus, if you know the two of them, they've not, they're, they've always been kind of antagonistic. Oh, yeah. They always they, butt heads, but they balance yeah. each other out. Is the thing, like, and, and this, this is, is almost like, like of it. Yeah, this is like a cosmic manifestation of that that they balance each other out. You know, he's the light. Okay, she's going to gravitate towards. This. I'm wondering how that's going to affect her relationship with Sylvanas, or how she handles Sylvanas when she inevitably meets her. Now, that's going to be an interesting thing too, because I mean, what is the one thing Sylvanas really doesn't want to face? You know, the void. And <laughs> now, oh, here's her boy. sister. Completely, completely a part of that that void of that that whole the whole thing. So that's an interesting relationship changer right there for them. There's so, a, I mean, there's yeah, oh, there's a ton of stuff going on in terms of character dynamic. Uh, you mentioned the Verisa Sylvanas uh, Alaria conversation where Verisa does not want to talk about it. By the way, she's very much like she, she's like you know mm-hmm. maybe we'll discuss this more in private later. You're going to smash right now things. in front of everybody. You really but, don't yeah. want to know what's actually hit. Cause she, she tells, she tells, she tells Alaria that, that Sylvanas is leading the horde. Alaria is not happy about this because the horde were the people that came into 
Gulf Loss and burned part of it and murdered a giant chunk of her family, including their little brother. That was part of the reason why she was set on this path of vengeance to begin with. The one that kind of put that, you know, wedge between her and Turalyon and beyond the Dark Portal. She is not a fan of the Horde in any aspect. So hearing that her sister is now leading the Horde, she's like, what? Are you kidding me? What? And then Varys is like, well, that's not everything, but let's talk about the rest of that another time. And you're just sitting there with the popcorn going, oh, I want to be right there for that conversation. Um, Let's move on, though, because we have, I mean, obviously there's a lot of character dynamics and stuff going on. And this is just the first zone, you guys. This is just the first zone of three. Crocoon itself, this is your staging point. It's like the first staging point for the assault that you're launching against the Legion. And there is a point to the entire zone, but you have to get to it. And when you get to the end of it, oh, man. Um, do we want to talk about those big reveals at the end, or do we want to just save that and let people experience that for themselves? Because they will. I almost want to let people experience it. Because <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a fairly massive thing that happens at the end. There's like this climactic battle that happens, and at the end of that climactic battle, you learn some really important things about exactly what the Legion is doing on Argus, and it's not good. None of it is good. Um, and then from there, you move on to the next zone, and the next zone is the Antoran Wastes. And the Antoran Wastes is basically home to, um, oh gosh, what's the name of the raid? Is it Antorus? Antorus the Burning Throne. Antorus the Burning Throne. I wanted to say Burning Throne, and I'm like, there's another, it's Antorus. Um, that's where the raid is at. You can't go waltzing into the raid immediately. Um, no, there's... it's very similar to 7.2. You have to like do a bunch of stuff first, yes. and time has to pass. Even when you do all the stuff, time then has to pass. Time has like... to pass, and uh, there's... I mean, you can see the bridge going into the area. Do not cross the bridge. Do not try and cross the bridge. I made the mistake of trying to cross the bridge, thinking, oh, I'll just be clever and get some screenshots. No. Um, you can't cross that bridge. <laughs> The Legion gets very angry with you when you try and cross that bridge. Just don't go across it. Just leave it alone. It's fine. There's plenty of other stuff to to kind of explore there. Um, Illidan makes a little bit bigger role in this particular section because he goes down to kind of confront the Legion himself. He's... Illidan is interesting. Um, And I don't quite know what to make of his character right now. I don't don't know what... What do you guys think of Illidan right now? Illidan is one of those people who very quickly tries to find the weak spot of anything he encounters, anything he encounters, whether it's an enemy or, or an ally, he looks for their weak spot immediately. Um, it, it's actually kind of fascinating to watch. He, he doesn't think, I, I, I don't know how to put it. Like he, he, everything is tactical. It's not strategic. It's tactical. It's short term goal, you know, because he's and got a grand strategy. You see that with that conversation that he has with Velen in the cinematic. Yeah, well, he's he's trying to push Velen's buttons because he wants to see what he'll do. Um, he be, the thing is, is that Illidan has a very long term strategy planned out, and he has had that strategy planned out for a long time. But he can't help himself. Like he'll be a jerk just because he wants to see your fracture point, even when. It would be better not to. He can't help himself. It's like you watch his dialogue in the game. He's constantly like, that's that's unimportant. You know, it's, he's he's very aggressive. Honestly, it's it's fascinating to watch it because in a way, I feel like this is the first time we've gotten to see sane Illidan in a very long time. 
Like he's would, finally not crazy. Like, I would agree he, with that. Like he he's he, this is this is Illidan like at full lucidity. And what I find interesting about it is the same thing that you guys do, except I I don't necessarily think that he can't help himself. I think that he's just naturally inclined to always looking for everybody's weakness because he never knows essentially who's going to turn out to be friend or foe. And so he has to plan his way out of every situation and every relationship that he has from this point on. He wants to get like everybody's number. So he has it, it. in did case you, he needs it. Did you guys ever watch gargoyles? Yes. Yeah. He's, he's, he's Xanatos. Yeah. He's Xanatos. He is 100% <laughs> Xanatos. He's Xanatos. He's, he's Xanatosing his brains out here. And it's interesting because I think the, the, the Illidan we saw in Warcraft three was this guy, but after he'd been locked up in solitary confinement for, for like, you know, 10,000 years, he was, he was crazy when he got out. He was crazy. If you read the Illidan novel, he's not sane. Oh yeah. He had, he had more than a few screws loose that he had to kind of get set back into place. And that takes time. And yeah. uh, I mean, being separated from your body will kind of give you the time to do that. I would imagine. I think it's a, it's partially that and partially the fact that he no longer has the luxury of time. It's also it's true. now. It's right now. It is happening. When or he, or is this just the fact that we're finally coming to the, the fruition of all of his long term planning? It could be. Like but, maybe it's not necessarily he's out of time, but we're at the right time. We're at where he always planned to be. There certainly is. A, it certainly does feel to a certain degree like that could be part of it. It just also feels an awful lot like there's no more distractions because everything is right now. Like the, the Legion is here. He there's a really interesting part of that conversation with Velen where he's like basically saying sometimes you have to make your own luck. You know, that's that's a little in a nutshell. Sometimes, you know, Velen counts. He has faith. He believes that the light will, you know, will help. He's got that going for him. And Illidan's message is essentially sometimes you have to make things happen. You've been too passive is what he's really saying. I mean, he's saying it in the worst way possible. He's being a, like a real jerk to Velen, but his underlying message is just sometimes you have to take action. You can't wait. You can't, you can't just, just wait hope. forever. Yeah. yeah. You have to do something. Now, at the same time, this is the same guy who, who wants, who takes precipitous action quite frequently. Like if you saw the, the Zara, it's one of the things that people were always talking about how Zara was an Illidan cheerleader. But when Zara showed you Illidan during the, during the War of the Ancients, she shows you Illidan killing his people. The, the uh, I can't remember oh, yeah. the, the Mage Guard, whatever they're called. The Moon Guard. Moon Guard. Shows him killing them. And in some cases, you know, he, he has a good argument for it. But at the same time, was it really necessary? You never know. You're never really sure. Did he have to do it? And so he, all through this expansion, he's kind of been this figure where you're not, you're not sure. Was that the right move? And you see more of him on Argus, and you you never come away feeling like, you know, I'm comfortable that this guy's hand is on the tiller. I, I feel good about what we're doing. <laughs> Illidan, Illidan always makes me uneasy. I never feel very comfortable with, like, oh, God, what did he do now is pretty much my, my go-to with Illidan. What about so. you, Joe? As far as whether or I feel comfortable with Illidan or not? <laughs> How do you feel about Illidan right now? I think this is exactly what I want out of Illidan. And and I think this is one of those things where even when everybody kept saying Illidan, no, Illidan, no, Illidan, no, I was totally that guy going Illidan, yes, uh, because this is this is everything that I expected to see after thousands of years of him planning and plotting. And I like the fact that his character is sort of needling everybody around him and sort of taking their measure and sort of. Well, he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to be asked of people. And he can't really sit there and say, 
yeah, we can be passive. Yeah, we could be lovey-dovey. Yeah, we could be friendly. No, you have to stay on edge. You don't know what's going to happen. I have an, a vague idea of what's going to happen, and, and what I think is going to happen is terrible. So I, I sort of like that idea because in his cruelty, he's also sort of being kind. Because if you give somebody enough time to grieve or enough time to sort of weigh what's going on around them, this is a situation that could break a person, right? You look at this world, like Velen, needling him is an important thing because he could look at this world and be filled with dread and as a result of that inaction. And we've already said it, Velen is an incredibly powerful, powerful individual who now has a sort of, he hit his breaking point and can now be goaded into action. And that's absolutely what needs to happen. Nobody else is willing to do that. Nobody else will sit there and say, hey, uh, so, yeah, it's totally terrible. Your son died. You know, the guy that did it, he sits over there, right? We can go take care of this right now. Like, he has to keep reminding him to keep moving forward. And so he does it because nobody else will. And I sort of like that that aspect of Illidan, especially as it's presented lately, is that he's just willing to do what nobody else will. Whether that's good or bad, it's important. And I like that. I like what I'm seeing in that. I like the two of them as like a direct contrast to each other because both of them have lived for thousands of years. Yes, Velen has a good 10,000 years or so on Illidan at this point. But I mean, when you're talking about lengths of time that long, does it really, when does it cease to matter? You know what I mean? Um, but the two of them are these ancient creatures and one of them possesses the endless patience to wait for things to like guide him to the right course of action and the other one is all action all the time let's get stuff done but if i go back to like we put the wheels in motion and get things set up so that they work correctly illidan is much more a creature of action and velen is much more a creature of patience and i feel like the two of them working together they'll kind of again balance each other out and what Um, if that was the entire point like if we go back to the illidan novel illidan was marked by the light Right? It's like the world's worst buddy cop movie. It, it is totally the world's worst <laughs> buddy cop movie. But what if that was the entire point? What if yeah. that? What if that is what what the light and what fate uh, intended for Velen was for Illidan to be his his sort of. Uh, <laughs> the light went to impetus. Azeroth and created a creature to be your bro. Yeah, Go, pretty much. Embrace him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there is like, oh, there's a spoiler coming that I don't. It's at the end of the raid, so I don't want to. Talk yeah, about let's it. not let's not talk about that. But we won't go quite that far because the raid is way down the line. Yeah, but yes. we'll say this much: um, all of the stuff going on, like the stuff with with Turalyon and Alaria, the stuff with with Velen and, and Illidan, the stuff with you. I mean, because you're there and you're important. Um, the stuff with like all these things coming together. There's a real sense of like the universe broke when Sargeras fell. Mm-hmm. Things stopped working a the way they were supposed part, to. A fundamental yeah. wheel in that cog of the universe stopped spinning or started and turning the other way. You mentioned you mentioned uh, that we find out what the Legion's plan is. So I'm going to say this much. It's not a spoiler for the raid. So, okay. But everything Sargeras has been doing for the past cent, you know, millennia, for, for, for thousands and thousands of years. Since he found Argus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every world he's gone to since, everything he's done has been in the service of one goal. And that goal isn't mindless destruction, like we thought it was. He wasn't just going to planets to burn them. I, I, 
I feel vindicated actually by this yeah. reveal from a few episodes ago when I said it, and I'm like, yes, he's been doing one thing and one thing only, and that thing is we're finally there at the moment where it will happen, and the circle is almost complete. To quote yeah. Elgoth, when you get there, like there's this this moment, this feel of like. It's not that Sargeras is right or anything. I'm not trying to argue that. I'm not, but I think Sargeras, in his own way, he's as aware that everything's as broken as everybody else is. Mm-hmm. He wants things to be different than they are. It's it's purely a what this is is basically the ultimate difference of an opinion writ large. It's it's basically like look no so large I, yeah I'm right. Let me show you and just there's so much to it. And you're on a scale. We're, we're on a scale here where. It almost feels laughable that we have any prayer to stop any of this. We're like, you know please. I mean? Yeah, like there's that sense of just, this is the biggest, this is one of the things I was thinking about narratively too, not just in terms of the actual lore, but in terms of the meta narrative here. This is a story that's basically being told from the point when Warcraft launched. Yep. When Warcraft first launched, there were warlocks and Sargeras got mentioned, but it wasn't really very, very clear and god get brought up a couple of times but warcraft 2 really pulled together the cosmology and then warcraft 3 laid it out when you played warcraft 3 warcraft 3 took all that stuff before and said here is the cosmology of this game and of this setting and since then we have been basically playing with the tools left behind and right now is the point where we step beyond it at the end of this patch at the end of this expansion we will have left behind a narrative thread that we've been dealing with since 2000 or moving yep. beyond it rather than leaving oh, it behind. It. And yeah, that's kind of beyond. a scary thought too. Cause it's, this is a big, big moment here. So, I mean, as far as 7.3 being the size that it is, it needs to be honestly. And it could have maybe been its own expansion, but the patch itself is so big that it almost feels like one. It feels like we've been delivered another mini one almost. Um, before we get too far here, uh, I do want to mention real quick, because we've addressed Krokun and we've d- addressed the Antoran Wastes, I want to talk about the third zone very briefly. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're going to run out of time, but we have to talk about Macari, um, which we've heard reference to. Yeah, since... Jessera, Jessera yeah. of Macari, who is named after an actual developer, by the since, way, guys. Since like, since, like, Burning Crusade came out, I think they were talking about the hills of Macari and all this other stuff. We actually get to go there. And when we go there, this zone in particular, it's not on Argus. You know that little dissolved chunk that's kind of hanging off of the planet? That's where Macari is. So when we go there, we go there in the Vindicar, and you can jump right off the edge of the world. <laughs> into the vast expanse of nothing and promptly die if you're not careful. Um, It feels a little bit like Outland in that way, but it's so much more beautiful than Outland ever was because it's kind of, it's it's this weird little quasi-preserved part of the original Argus as it was way back when. And because of this, there are spirits left behind of the Eridar that didn't leave. And there are, also spirits left behind of the Eridar that did leave. Um, There's ghost echoes of events that happened in that area. Um, Important events, like really important lore events. You see Kil'jaeden and you see Archimonde before they ever became the Eridar that they are, the people, you know, the big bad bosses that we killed. You get to see them before all of that. Uh, There's a cinematic that plays out. And you get to see Velen when he was young, which is just kind of astonishing. 
Um, there's yeah, little, there's there's little vignettes all over the place. And yeah, and the, the five man is also here. The five man is located there. It's the seat of the triumvirate, and mm-hmm. you can actually go up on the different sections of of where the triumvirate was at. You see the old area where Argamon used to train Trinai mages in the arts of the arcane and everything. Uh, there's a section up there where you can see the moment where Kiljaden came to the Eridar people and said, hey guys, this great guy just contacted us and he's going to give us more power than we ever dreamed of. And he's going on and on to this ghost. It's ghostly Kiljaden talking to a ghostly crowd. And if you look off in the distance, you can see Velen and Archimonde's spirits arguing with each other. There are statues that frame the area. And I thought this was like a really great, just kind of visual moment. There's a statue of the Triumvirate, right? There's a representation for each of them. There's Archimon, Kiljaden, and Velen in the middle. And Velen's statue is the only one whose head has been knocked clean off. The other two are intact. <laughs> and it's made very clear somebody was not happy with Velen when he left. Like, on a on a big scale, somebody was not happy with Velen. And then on the other side of of all of this... There's this weird incursion going on that has... I don't think it has anything to do with the Burning Legion. Uh, yeah, they sent an assault force to Macquarie, didn't they? It, like, it's, no. it's a direct response to the armies of... Le- You're talking about current or, or like the echoes of the past? Because, I'm talking about the current stuff that's up because there. Because the army going... Keep in mind, too, well, there's also... There is actually another reason there might be something there. Because well, there's, going... also, there's also the uh, Shadow Foids that are attacking. There's yes. the shadow forces that are attacking that are definitely not. That's what I'm talking Legion. about. Yeah, they are not. Those guys with the are Legion. there because They're they're ethereals. They're shadow ethereals. They mm-hmm. aren't the ethereals that we find on Draenor, the ones that escaped. These ones appear to have embraced the void. Um, and there's a really deliberate large scale attack there. And again, you know that probably plays out in the five man. I haven't done the five man yet, so I don't. I can't wait until Tuesday. I want to do all the things. But uh, Macri is... it. It's... I mean, it's not just Macri. All of this. All of Argus, right? If you have a few minutes in between all of your avalanches of questing and everything else, go exploring. There are hidden treasures all over the place, as per usual, with, like, things in them and stuff. But beyond that, there are these little vignettes all over the place, just, like, bits of scenery... Or, you know, you go into a spot and you see the ghost of an NPC or, oh, one of my favorite moments. Um, If you're Alliance and you have the mammoth, the vendor mammoth, you'll know that there are two dudes on it, right? There's the robot and then there's the Draenei guy. Hamud, I think is his name. Mm. Okay. Yeah, Hamud. Yeah. You, when you get to Macquarie, he's there. Because this is where he was born. Like, this is where he was from. And he's just standing there staring at everything. And you can have a conversation with him. And I'm just like, ugh! All of it is so good, you guys. <laughs> it's just so good. Um, we are kind of running low on time here, though. So I do kind of want to wrap it up. Um, Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on a podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Um, just so you guys know, if obviously when this comes out on the website, 7.3 will have been out for like a week or so. If you have any questions for the podcast, go ahead and email those to at podcast at blizzardwatch.com and put lore watch in the sub 
subject line. We will be taking any and all 7.3 questions from this point on out. So if you have anything directly related to events that are happening on Argus or you know fallout potential fallout from the Ar- from Argus speculation whatever go ahead and throw it at us just make sure you put lore watch in the subject line so we know it's intended for this show um, and for you guys listeners of Blizzard Watch Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service they do have several Blizzard titles available there that you can choose as your uh, free download with the trial you can download those titles and many others they have so many books available on Audible. You can sign up for that at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. So um, real quick here before we go, because we are running out of time. <laughs> What's the one thing you guys are most excited about seeing on Argus? Joe, go. Oh, God. You got to make me choose one? Yeah, the one biggest thing. Oh, God. Honestly, I I cannot wait to start tearing through the raid i I hate to say it like that but it's it's one of those things where i'm so eager to see the architecture of it that it's it's kind of goofy how giddy i am about it okay rossi same question there's a moment it's a cinematic moment when you're unlocking one of the zones um i don't want to talk too much because it kind of feeds into the raid and stuff that won't be out for a while but you're there and a certain figure arrives to stop you and that figure is a being who has never been seen. Nothing of his kind has ever been seen in World of Warcraft before, but they've been talked about. And he comes down and attacks you. And you get out. But that moment when I first saw it floored me. I about peed myself. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I've seen it already, but I want to see it again. Um, it is... This is what, you know, in some ways this... This, this patch to this expansion feels like the absolute culmination of Warcraft. Like, what are they going to do next? Like, I have no idea. We are, we are beyond the map at this point. Everything we've, like, you know how kind of like when you played, when you went through Wrath of Lich King and it felt a little bit like, wow, we're kind of past Warcraft 3 now. Everything we do from now on is kind of off the Warcraft 3 map. We're now off the Warcraft map. We're like, headed into parts new. unknown. Yeah. So, yeah, that moment I want, that moment to see that again. Yeah. I am looking forward to the raid, yes, but I'm also looking forward to the resolution of all of it, honestly. No, I think what I'm looking forward to the most is seeing the cinematics that I haven't seen yet, because not all of them are spliced into the PTR as of yet. There are some moments that aren't quite full-fledged cinematics, where they're just, um, like, the moment that you were talking about, it's not quite a full-fledged cinematic so much as it's, like, in-game character manipulation that kind of thing and we've seen that throughout legion before i'm looking forward to like the full-fledged cinematics playing out because uh the cinematics team has done such a massive massive job with presenting these over the course of the expansion and like i said i i didn't think that anything could ever beat patch 5.1 honestly because i loved 5.1 so much but 7.3 is doing it for me (laughs) on so many different levels anyway that wraps us up thanks again for listening you guys and we will see you in two weeks 